Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, from the team that brought you the Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Sarah Munder. And I'm Zach Glazer. And this is episode 462 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, Sarah talks with Kirk Simino about designing a client experience and accessibility issues. Today's podcast is, of course, brought to you by Postali, Posh Virtual Receptionists, and LawPay. We would not be able to do this show without their support. So stay tuned, and we're going to tell you more about them later on. Before we tell you about them, though, I'd like to tell you about our two new coaches. Tell me about our two new coaches. (laughs) Letitia and Supriya have joined us and just got done with LabCon. We had a great time. They are amazing coaches, but frankly, I don't get to work with them too much, Sarah. So how do you feel? What's up? We've got two awesome coaches here. Well, personally, I'm incredibly excited for one, selfishly, because Our lab coaching program has been growing, and this year we've had a lot of new people come into lab, and my calendar has gotten so full of coaching calls, Mm. and there's so much that we coaches put into those coaching calls and kind of give away of ourselves, and so it's exhausting. It's mentally and emotionally exhausting sometimes. So for one, I'm really excited to have these coaches come in, not just take maybe some of the calls that would have been on my calendar, but to inject a new sense of just energy and motivation Mm -hmm. and their experience. Supriya and Letitia are bringing a lot of incredible experience into lab and they're going to be doing some amazing things with our labsters. They're two incredible women, very impactful, just incredibly intelligent and They understand how the mind works. And Mm. that's where it all starts when we're trying to create positive change. So it's amazing. I'm really excited to see what they do. Well, fantastic. I mean, I have really enjoyed working with them. And recently, we just got done with LabCon, our annual conference or unconference for all of our labsters. And we got a lot done there. Yeah. LabCon is a life-changing, well, business-changing and life-changing experience. And it's the most exciting part of my year and my career. And interestingly, so we've had, we had a lot of amazing attendees. Kirk, who I talked to on the podcast today, was there and participated and brought a lot of value to the people at LabCon, the attendees, and help them with their client experience. And that's if you missed out and you weren't there at LabCon and you didn't get to meet Kirk in person, then tune in very closely today because he tells a lot of really impactful stories. Mm-hmm. And that is going to open up the minds of the listeners to think of what they can do in their processes to create more connection in a more impactful client experience. And just to kind of tease this out, so Kirk's firm, Red Sneaker Law, has a story behind it. And it's really interesting and it's a powerful story. 
you know, it, it's kind of heart wrenching and you'll hear it. So make sure you stay and listen all the way to the end where Kirk is going to explain where the red sneaker name came from and why he wears red sneakers every day. Okay. Well, we'll definitely have to do that. And now here is Sarah's conversation with Kirk. So my name is Kirk Simino and I'm a lawyer practicing in New Hampshire. And I describe my practice like this. I punch bullies in the nose. So if you find that you are being sexually harassed at work, if your car has been crashed into, if some horrible calamity has befallen you and you can point a finger at a bully who's responsible, I'm the guy who helps put the bully back in their place. I love it. Well, welcome to the Lawyers Podcast. It's so nice to have you on. We've had the experience of you in in lots of different ways in lab. And now you get to be on the podcast. So I'm so excited because you have quite a story to tell and you have made a big, big impact in a lot of people's lives. And today we want to talk about client experience. And so let's just, you know, I want to put it back on you and ask you, what is client experience from your perspective? And we'll go from there. So I I think if you think about what client experience is, it's sort of the overall overarching beginning to end what happens for a client from not even the minute they reach out to your firm or to you as a lawyer, but the minute that they start having the problem. And that's where I think a lot of lawyers fall short is they think about the when they start looking and they see my website. No, the client experience starts with the drunk driver who runs the red light. It starts with the boss who makes the inappropriate comment. And that's one of the key things that I think so many lawyers forget, so many lawyers don't focus on, and so many lawyers don't ask themselves about what's the state the folks that are coming to me are in when they get in. And then the last thing I'll say before I breathe and let you say something is I really think I come from this from the perspective of having been a client first. And I think more lawyers really need to understand what that experience is like. It ain't fun. You have quite the story of what you went through that landed you in this profession of helping people. Would you be comfortable opening up and kind of sharing about that? Yeah, happy to, Sarah, because I, I think it's easier to help educate people or explain, here's why I think you should do it this way. Not because I'm a successful lawyer, because I made a lot of money or ran a big firm or something, but because I was a client and I know what it feels like to be a client. So 20 years ago now, my parents are snowbirds. Now we're from New Hampshire. Snowbirds are people who go down to Florida every winter or some other nice warm place because they don't want to be up here. This before global warming was really a you know a big thing and it meant something to go to Florida. Now it's hot everywhere. But my folks were snowbirds, and they insisted that my wife and I go down and visit them. I don't like to visit people. I don't like to stay on people's couches or pullouts or guest rooms or anything. But anyway, they're my parents. They bought us plane tickets. We flew down. My parents are deaf. It's really important to understand that 20 years ago, being deaf meant no cell phones to text. wasn't easy to make phone calls. So when we got to the airport, we couldn't just pick up the phone and say, hey, we've, we've landed. We've got the rental car. We'll be there in half an hour or something. So my dad was actually waiting for us because we'd never been to their condo before. He was waiting for us under a tree, actually. Anyway, 
as we drive down the road, we see my daddy waves at us to make sure we don't miss the turn. We stopped for a moment to, you know, say uh, hi and for him to tell us where to park. And we had a, our daughter with us at the time who wasn't quite two years old. My wife was pregnant and we had all the stuff you need in the car for the, the almost two year old and uh, no room for dad to get in the car with us. So we went and we parked. And as I got out of the car and reached to shake my dad's hand, a, what we found out later was a drunk driver came along and hit him and carried him some 60 yards until, yeah. So he was killed. And I became introduced to the legal system, both the criminal and the civil side through that incident. And in dealing with it, again, remind you, my mom is deaf. So there are a whole host of challenges associated with her disability that both the criminal prosecutors, who were very nice people, hadn't the slightest clue how to deal with. The civil attorneys, who were very nice people, some of them didn't have the slightest clue how to deal with. So I, I was having to get involved in all those sorts of things and decided, gee, I wonder if there's another way to do it. So that's how I became involved in becoming a lawyer myself. After it was sort of the smoke cleared, I decided to go to law school. I was a little bit older at the time than your typical law student and, and, and have been in, in practice now ever since. That is a heavy story for a lot of people to hear. And I just want to thank you for being willing to open up because it's impactful. And I know that you've probably told the story a million times, but I'll, you know, kind of connect the story with what you said initially, which is when you were going through that legal process, what do you wish those attorneys would have considered or taken into account or how do you wish they would have handled things? It's a great question, really, because, you know, so much of what lawyers are trying to do now and have been trying to do is create systems and checklists and automations and, and things like that, right? Well, when you've got a woman who's just lost her husband, who, because she was born in 1943, deaf, can neither read nor write, and your checklist says send her the letter telling her when the next hearing is or the this is or the that is. And she has no ability to read it. And worse, she's really got no ability to tell you that she can't read it. So I, I think sort of the first thing that I wish would have been done differently is that someone had said, hey, Mrs. Simino, how do we communicate with you? If they had asked her, you know, how do we work with you so that she wouldn't have to struggle through everything. And you got to remember, this is a time, you know, only just a little bit after the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. There weren't interpreters everywhere. It was even now it's a challenge. I mean, I've got lawsuits filed, you know, all over the place dealing with the same thing. So step one is that I, I wish the way I describe to people sometimes is this us. We've done this before. OK, I met new motor vehicle accident case clients yesterday. OK, I couldn't even tell you how many cases I've done. Uh, motor vehicle cases, right? I've done thousands of them. This is their first one and their only one. And I think what happens is we create sort of a, this is just the next one and it's the same as the last one. And it's the same as the one before that. And it's going to be the same as the one after that. It's not, it's unique and different. And I, I think if you recognize that it's unique and different, if you're a civil attorney, you're going to get better financial results. 
And I think if you're a prosecutor, for example, you're going to at least reduce the re-victimization of the folks who have been harmed. So I wish they had asked. I wish they had just said, boy, this is new to us. How do we make this work? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I can imagine that it would have been an entirely different experience for your mom, for you, for the rest of the family. And then, of course, that all has a ripple effect in a positive or a negative way. And so I think that law firm owners sometimes forget the true impact that the client experience has, not just while they're working with the client, but for generations and for years to come. I think it's true. I mean, think about how many times a potential client calls and uh, you're talking to them. And I'm so much trial lawyer. I do plaintiff's trial work. And so I'll say, well, have you ever been involved in a lawsuit before? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I was in a crash like six or seven or eight years ago, or, or I was, you know, whatever. They had some other case. And I'll ask, did you have a lawyer for that? And they'll say, yes. And I'll say, well, why didn't you call that lawyer? Why are you talking to me? And a lot of times they'll not remember who that lawyer was. They'll say something negative about their experience with that lawyer. Or worse, I think, for us as a profession they'll make it sound like the lawyer was just a fungible thing, that it was just a commodity, this person that worked with them on their case. And I think that's because that client felt like they were just a commodity, exchangeable for any other person. That, I think, is something that lawyers as a whole, we need to get past the impersonal and I think become more personal. Wow, so powerful. And that kind of makes me think, you know, I was just talking about the ripple effect and the impact that it has on the client side. But now you're talking about the ripple effect that it has on the firm side, because we're talking about you're missing out on reviews, referrals, people remembering your name, like basic stuff like that. So obviously having a good client experience is really important. And we're trying to impart that and drill that in, in this episode. Let's take a quick break from our sponsors because we have to do that. And when we come back, maybe we can talk about how to do it and what needs to happen. We'll be right back. The Lawyer's Podcast is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists. As an attorney, do you ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call while you're in court capture a lead during a meeting, or schedule an appointment with a client while you're elbow deep in an important case? Well, that's where Posh comes in. Posh is a team of professional, U.S.-based, live virtual receptionists who are available 24-7, 365. They answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. With Posh handling your calls, you can devote more time to billable hours and building your law firm. And the convenient Posh app puts you in total control of when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is always just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Even better, Posh is extending a special offer to Lawyerist listeners. Visit posh.com forward slash Lawyerist to learn more and start your free trial of Posh Live Virtual Receptionist Services. That's posh.com forward slash Lawyerist. And by LawPay. Don't be the last to discover why the legal industry is raving about LawPay Pro. Say goodbye to manually recording your working hours and chasing down late payments. Accurately track time, reclaim billable hours, and get paid faster with all the billing and invoicing features you need in one easy-to-use tool. 
Plus, plans start as low as $19 per month per user. Visit www.lawpay.com slash lawyerist to learn more. And by Postali. At Lawyerist, we know marketing is an essential piece of a firm's growth strategy. While marketing may be on your radar, the branding process is often glossed over. Our partners at Postali can develop your law firm brand. Postali is a full-service marketing agency working with attorneys nationwide. Their team will guide you through an exercise and then deliver a blueprint that powers your firm's internal operations, visual identity, and marketing efforts. Branding is more than just a logo and color palette. Taking the time to define your target audience, vision, and core values will ensure that you have a well-aligned internal team ready to help you set and achieve your growth goals. Visit postolly.com slash branding to get started. So Kurt, we have a listener who owns a law firm and they want to improve the client experience. They want to look at everything from when a client contacts them for the first time all the way to, you know, close of case, asking for a view, whatever. But you said in the beginning of this episode that it starts actually when the incident happened or when they realized they had a problem. So talk me through how you would, if you had to sit down and review the whole client journey, what would that look like and what would that involve? So part of it is is challenging because you can't create a experience for the lawyer that's traumatic like their clients. You can't artificially create a moment for the lawyer to say, here's the horrible moment. But I, I think I would start with talking to the lawyer about what does their life experience look like, right? Where are their overlaps? It's kind of a little bit like an acting exercise, right? Where you're trying to tap into your emotions or your feelings so you better understand. And they actually do this at some trial academies where they train lawyers how to, to be empathetic and things. So I would start sort of there, right? To see if we can find an emotional baseline to help the lawyer understand maybe where the client's coming in. Obviously, it's different if you're talking about a corporate client with a corporate situation or somebody, you know, every situation is different. So I would start with that because then that gives you the tone, right? Now you know the tone that you need to bring to a matter. And you know then when the phone rings, how it's to be answered. You know then, you know, more what the website looks like and and all those kinds of things. But I'll be very honest with you. The place I would start is this. If I was just sort of let's assume it's a practice where you're dealing with people who have real problems. Okay. You've got somebody who's been in a car crash, somebody, you know, some, a a person who's not used to, and not a sophisticated legal consumer. I would start with, where do you meet with that client? Years ago, when I first became a lawyer, I was fortunate enough to be hired by one of the most successful group of lawyers in the state of New Hampshire. They made me the managing partner one year in. They were great lawyers, horrible business people. They saw that I could run a business. They made me an amazing partner. One of the very first things I did was gut a conference room, took out the table, took out the chairs, and I went to the furniture store and I bought basically a living room. Wow. And I put a living room in the conference room. And when clients would come in, they wouldn't sit at a conference table across from a lawyer in a jacket and tie. They would sit in a living room. And we would sit in the living room. And I can't even tell you how many clients from day one commented about how, boy, this was nothing like what I was expecting. I was so afraid. 
So, you know, you've got to think about what your client's experience is, right? You've got to think about where they're coming from, not what's convenient for you. Look, I don't send a bunch of forms to a client electronically for them to fill out until I've talked to them, right? Until I found out whether or not that's a useful and effective thing for that particular client, whether or not it's useful and effective for me, right? Because I'm trying to service this person's problems. I'm trying to help them. So I would start with something as simple as the physical. You know, what does the space look like where you're meeting with these folks? And is that space appropriate for those clients? And I will give you an example, though, from the, the corporate world. So I have a friend of mine. We're both managing partners of, of successful firms. His happened to be a giant firm in this neck of the woods that worked with corporate clients, okay? And they decided they were going to do a remodel of their offices, and they did a beautiful remodel. They bought expensive art. They bought all this fancy, beautiful stuff. And clients started peeling off left and right. They kept losing corporate client after corporate client. So finally, he started asking them, what did we do? Why are you so upset with us? Why are you leaving? We knew you were overbilling us, was the general response. And now we have the proof because you bought all this fancy art and all this fancy this and all this fancy that. So part of it is that, right? Part of it is that perception. And people don't like lawyers to begin with. You look at every study out there. You know, people do not like lawyers. So I, I, you got to ask yourself, how much like a lawyer are you coming across as? But I, I really think another way to, to understand better the client experience is whatever type of law you practice, go do some pro bono work. Go represent some victims of domestic violence. Help them get restoring, restraining orders. Call your local legal aid office and, and, and find out who's in the lowest rung of the ladder and do that. And then do this. Drive to their house and meet with them there. I met with clients yesterday in their home. I do that um, for older clients. I do that for some clients who have disabilities. I do that when it's just more convenient or whatever. But you learn so much more about what your client's life is when you're in that environment. And it starts to help you understand better how to talk to them, what analogies to use. These folks I met with yesterday, we met in their kitchen and there was a bookshelf in the kitchen, big bookcase filled, filled with Shakespeare and a bunch of... So now I knew not to use the wrestling analogy. I'm going to use the Romeo and Juliet analogy. You know, you're not going to get that if you just force them to come to your office at one o'clock because it's convenient to you or you even do a Zoom. I don't know if I answered your question. I feel like um, I didn't. Yes, but, you did. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. No, let's start there because, and I feel like this episode could go on forever, but what I think is happening is as you're talking about this and you're talking about what that connection would look like, I mean, Kirk, you have a gift of connecting with people. You really have a gift of putting yourself in their situation because you've been through it. You've been through some hard times and you wish someone would have connected with you and your family in that way. So what I think might be happening for the listeners is as you're talking through this, they're thinking about how this applies to their current situation, what improvements can be made. You mentioned, you know, it could be on Zoom. We've got a lot of listeners that do run remote practices and do run consults on Zoom. And I think that that connection can still be made, but it should still be thought through what it feels like on the other side. So beyond when you're getting to know the clients, the experience of actually getting into the legal process, is there anything that you wanted to say on that front? Well, yeah, I think because I, I think it's important before you get into the legal process is, is that you get through the human process first, 
right? So many of us are really good at making that initial client maybe small talk about the weather, about the this or about that. And we're very guarded and not very real about talking about who we really are as people, right? Before we started recording this, you you said, how are you doing? And I said, you know what, to be honest with you, I'm kind of beat because I got two kids. I'm getting ready to pack up for school and I'm moving and I'm packing all this stuff and loading everything. And I don't do that for any artificial reason. I just do that because if I'm open and real, then it allows whomever I'm talking to, to be open and real. And I think as lawyers, we, we have this idea of, I've got to be, you know, this professional. I've got to look like I know what I'm doing. I got to sound like I know what I'm doing. Well, you know what? If the person you're talking to isn't listening to you because they don't like you or they're scared of you, or they can't understand you because your vocabulary is way beyond what they understand, or you're just talking a different language, well, then who cares how professional and smart you are? You're never going to accomplish anything. So I, I think that taking that little bit of time to explore the human side of things is a really helpful way to sort of right from the beginning, get your client to understand, oh, Kirk's not just a lawyer. He's a person too. And if they like the person, then they'll trust the lawyer and then you can talk about your percentage of wins. And then you can talk about, you know, how you handle these cases and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think figuring out how to make that connection isn't that hard. It really is just a matter of you've got to be a little open. You've got to be a little willing to be yourself and a little less desirous of being what you think a lawyer is supposed to be like. I'll tell you. So when I first became a trial lawyer, one of my former partners, David Slosky, and I were, were trying a case. And at the time, Dave and I both drove really fancy, expensive cars. Okay, I was super proud of this fancy, expensive car I had. And our senior partner told us, under no circumstances, were we to drive those cars to court for the trial. Because some jurors are going to see us in those fancy cars and they're going to hate us because we're these fancy lawyers in these fancy cars. And we noticed the defense lawyer in that case, he drove a beat up old piece of garbage car. And we're thinking, gee, you know, maybe our senior partner is right. So after the trial was over and we won, 30 days later, you're allowed to talk to jurors. So I talked to the jurors. And one of the questions I asked the six or seven jurors who were willing to talk to us was, did they notice us in our fancy cars? And what did they think? Only two had noticed the fancy cars. And you know what the two thought about the fancy cars? That we must have been really good lawyers. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to afford the fancy cars. It was the exact opposite of what our senior partner had told us. And how did I know what they thought? I asked them. And I think that's one of the big key takeaways here, right? Is you got to ask your client, how do you need me to communicate with you? Is it text? Is it email? Is it a phone call? How often do you need me to communicate with you? Hey, do you understand the language here? You've got to give your clients permission to know they're not bothering you. We give the impression that we're super busy that we're super overloaded and we wear it like a badge of honor so that they feel like they're interrupting us. And that's what society's expectation is anyway. I told these clients just yesterday, I said, look, you're going to think of a question. There is no question that's stupid. There's no question that's inconsequential. And there's no question that you can't ask me just because you want to ask me. You're not bothering me. You're not interrupting me. I work for you. So, you know, you feel free to ask. I did say, look, if you think of 15 questions, just you know, call me once to ask me 15 questions. Don't call me 15 times. So I think really just being willing to ask what the folks need is a huge, 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 big thing. And dropping the assumptions of what people think 
or are going to think is a huge way to enhance the client experience. Wow. What I'm taking from this conversation and all that you just said is that there's a world in which you can have a client experience that both involves getting information and connecting with that client and then taking that information and then guiding the client and teaching them how to communicate with you, how to get their questions answered, how to work with the firm. And that's what they're looking for. Ultimately, they're looking for your guidance and and you as a counselor and sort of like coach them through the process. Ultimately, what they want is reassurance. I don't think anyone goes into an experience working with a lawyer feeling like, ah, this is going to be great and easy. And there's a lot of fear coming in. You mentioned that earlier. And so we can take that connection piece and then turn it back and give them reassurance all along the way. And it's just amazing to me to think about how powerful it is when you create an intentional client experience that is custom and is applicable to them and their needs as people. But then also at the same time, you can have systems and processes and automations for making sure that you're running an efficient firm. Both can exist. And so it's really important to take time to look at that, to map it out, to look at you know, these are the different phases of working with a client. And in these phases, what do they need from us in these different phases? And what do we need from them? And then taking those pieces and maybe automating them. This has just been incredible. It's been powerful. What's next for you in your career? What are you doing? What are you excited about? What are you working on? Well, I mean, so I've got a, a, a few cases that I'm working on um, that are designed to help enhance communication access for deaf patients in medical settings. So just picture, if you will, for example, being a deaf father and your wife is also deaf and she's lying in a hospital dying and a doctor comes in and the doctor is trying to explain to you without the benefit of an interpreter that your wife is dying. And He takes a paper towel because it's the only thing he can find in the room. And he grabs a pen and he writes on the paper towel, no can help, wife kidney go down is bad. Because of course, the doctor in this situation is, English is also his second language. And you've got this on a paper towel and you're confused and you don't understand. So then this doctor turns to your 14-year-old daughter and asks your 14-year-old daughter to help explain to you what's going on with her dying mother. So I've got a few lawsuits that involve fact patterns like that right now that I'm working on to try to make some change. And then I'm working on a book and some other projects. But I, look, I don't have anything to sell. I got no extra grind. Uh, I'm, I'm really just here with the idea of this. I, I gave a CLE not too long ago entitled Make More Money, Get Ethics Credit, and Do Good. I talk to so many lawyers every day who avoid representing people with disabilities disabled people, however you want to phrase it, whatever is politically correct today, because it takes more time and it's harder. Okay, but I do it. I do really well doing it. And the one thing I will say about the something that you did say about creating the systems and, and, and customizing and everything like that, I know a lot of people get worried about well the, the added costs and things like that. There's a tax credit available for representing folks with disabilities for these added costs, the interpreters and things like that. And the other thing is, because I know I take more time. Like I went to these folks the other day. I did a a house call, right? It's just a car crash case. I explained to them, I charge more money. My fee is a higher percentage than other lawyers will charge. But I'm here. I'm sitting in your home. You okay with that? 
And they're okay with that. So you can create a business model that, that works doing that. But yeah, what I got next is just that and, and, and trying to get the kids down to school without crashing the U-Haul van that I'll be, I'll be driving. And the kids aren't sure I can handle the truck, but we'll see how it goes. Well, listen, I have one last question for you before we go. I read your bio, Red Sneaker Law, and the bio said, be sure to ask about Red Sneaker. <laughs> so what's that about? Okay. So uh, about 12 years ago, I developed a neurological. Another, this is going to be a heavy story at the beginning, but it, it gets better toward the end. Uh, I developed a neurological problem, mainly in my legs. So I, tremendous amounts of pain, can't wear grown-up shoes, can't wear lawyer shoes anymore. And I was a relatively new lawyer. So I started wearing black nondescript sneakers because I couldn't wear, I mean, the amount of pain I was in, I had a cane, a wheelchair, the whole bit. I was in court one day with my black nondescript sneakers. Actually, it might've been a legislative ethics. But anyway, I was in a hearing and opposing counsel and I were passing each other at counsel table and he accidentally bumped into me. And I was in the men's room after that for about 45 minutes in tears. I was in so much pain. I couldn't function, had asked for a recess. It was unbelievably embarrassing. Came home, having dinner with my family, telling them about my day. My daughter, who was nine at the time, said, you know, daddy, if you wore bright red sneakers, everyone would notice and no one would ever bump into you. So we went that night. We bought my first pair of bright red sneakers. I have 40 or 50 pair now, and I wear them all the time. And I, I think it's a story about two things. One, sort of taking a, a weakness and embracing it because then it's not a weakness anymore. And two, whenever a nine-year-old tells you to do something, you should totally do it because it's worked out really well. It really has. I was at an event one time with the red sneakers. And at the time I was on a cane, I've been fortunate the last year or so not to need one. And Howard Nations, who's a famous lawyer, sees me and he says, damn, I wish I'd thought of that gimmick. So at least I got that going for me. What a gimmick, Kirk. Well, thank you for sharing that story. It's a good one. You're a really good storyteller. You make huge impact in the world. And I just want to say thank you for all you do for humanity. Thank you for coming on the Lawyerist Podcast and helping our listeners. Thank you for being in lab and being committed to working on your business and improving your business. And I hope to have you back someday. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I'm sending off the best vibes for you and your family and, and taking your kids to college. Thanks, Sarah. The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Brittany Felix. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com forward slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com forward slash community forward slash lab to schedule a 10 minute call with our team to learn more. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. 